0: Studies show, amen, studies show that in the last 40 years, that the way we see ourselves determined to a very large degree how we act and how we react in life. We we underestimate the power of the mind. We underestimate how powerful this tool is and how we live out our life. We think so many circumstances determine how we act and how we react, how we were brought up, where we grew up, what economic class we were in, what skin color we have, and all those things do play a major factor in that. But I am convinced the number one thing that determines the course of your life and determines the outcome of your life is how you perceive yourself. How we perceive things is how we receive things. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and this is not even in our notes today, there's a story, and Jesus is on the Jesus tour. That's what I call it. He's going from town to town, and he's healing people, and he's teaching the Word of God. And Man, the lame are being made to walk, and the blind are being made to see, and those who um, are dead are being brought back to life. And then Jesus returns to his hometown. And when he returns to his hometown, immediately they see Jesus, and they're like, isn't that Jesus? It, that's just the carpenter's son, ain't it? Ain't, ain't that Joseph's boy? Ain't that Mary's boy? Where all these other towns saw him as the son of God, he returned back home And they saw him as just one of them. And the Bible goes on to say in one of the verses, it says, Jesus performed no miracles there. Because the way we perceive something is the way we receive something. They didn't perceive Jesus to be special, therefore, they received nothing special from Jesus. They didn't perceive Jesus as the Son of God, therefore, they didn't receive Jesus as the Son of God. They perceived Him as the carpenter's Son. They perceived Him as the boy they used to go to school with. They perceived Him as the boy they used to hang out with. And therefore, they received, when they perceived Him that way, they received that kind of blessing just somebody hanging out with them we do that with church boy our little church we perceive our little church as our little church and we wonder why we receive it as a little church well ah oh, that's just my old lady you perceive her as your old lady and you wonder why she acts like your old lady you perceive yourself a certain way and therefore you receive yourself a certain way and the problem with so many of us in our mind is we perceive ourselves as a loser and we live life as a loser. Our mind tells us that we're not good enough, and therefore we live life not good enough. We we convince ourselves that whatever we do is going to fail. Whatever we do is going to be negative. Whatever we do, we're not good enough. We don't look good enough. We're not smart enough. we We don't have the right weight to do this, the right social class, the right education. And therefore we live our life because our mind convinces us that we're not good enough. The mind is a powerful tool. We, are, we see ourselves as a victim, and we live our lives as a victim. We see ourselves as a piece of junk, and we live our lives as a piece of junk. We see ourselves as an addict, and we live our lives as an addict. We see ourselves as someone who has hurts and habits and hang-ups, and we identify ourselves by what we see as our problems, and therefore we take on the identity of what we're thinking in our mind. And guess what? Good news for you today. The Bible backs this up. This isn't Gary on a rampage today. This isn't Gary ranting today. This isn't Gary throwing out his opinion today. The Bible says this in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As a man thinks, so he is. If you go through life thinking you're a loser, you're going to live your life like a loser. You go through life thinking you're a winner, you're going to go through life acting like a winner. You go through life thinking, man, my marriage sucks and my marriage is horrible and it's never going to make it. Guess what? Your marriage is going to suck and you're never going to make it. We get up every morning and we tell ourselves and we convince ourselves before we even get out of bed, ah, crap, i got to go back to my job that I hate, tomorrow morning, it will be all over Facebook, it's Monday, if you hate Mondays, you're doing it wrong. What if you got up and said, holy crap, it's Monday, and the place that puts a roof over my head and gives me a car to drive and puts food on my table and lets me enjoy life, I get to go back there today. I am so thankful. I wonder how it would change our mindset. But we don't want to think about that. We would rather blame our job than our mind because we hate self-accountability. There's power in how we see ourselves. And I am convinced one of the biggest issues in our lives today is we see ourselves less than how God sees us. We hear that song that the band played today and we think about the guy and we think, man, he was a creep. And why didn't the woman stand up to him? Because the woman thought she didn't deserve any better. And what's happens is, is when you see yourself less than God sees you, you begin to live your life less than God envisions for you. And though you live your life that way and you go through the motions that way, you know deep down inside there's something more and you begin to hate yourself. We begin to have self-loathing. We begin to know we're living our life, not living the potential that we have. We get comfortable in our discomfort. Some of you are that way in your marriage today. Your marriage started to go sideways about 20 years ago. And when it started going sideways, it upset you. And you wanted to fix it. And you wanted to get it back on track. But a year went by. And two years went by. And now you're just used to your marriage not being the best that it can be. Your mindset has been, this is as good as it gets. And therefore, it lives out in a way that's as good as it gets. And then... We go and we turn on our television and we read our books and we look through our magazines and we see what's on the radio and we see all the things that society tells us we ought to have. We set our standards not by God's standards, but by the standards of the magazines and the standards of the TV and the standards of the movie and oh my God, the standard of fake book. I saw something the other day that said, may your life be as glorious as you pretend it is on Facebook. <laughs> man, there's two extremes on Facebook. The people who lie and act like everything's great and the people who just whine about everything. You know, that's the people you unfollow. You're like, God, I like that person, but man, they are miserable. I want to slip my wrists following them. If we're ever going to live the life that God intends for us to live, we have got to learn to see ourselves the way God sees us. Today, I'm going to preach to you from a verse. This is going to sound really weird here today. It's probably one of the verses I've used more in my ministry than any other verse. But it's a verse I've never actually preached on. Matter of fact, I used the verse last week. It's a great verse that I love to throw in in sermons all the time, but I've never actually taken the verse and broken it down. And we're going to be hanging out today in the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was interesting. So Jeremiah was a priest. He was a prophet. And he came from a family of priests. And God called him to be a prophet at a very young age. A matter of fact, we're going to read here in a minute. God called him to be a prophet when he was in his mother's womb. So people want to debate about when life starts. Well, all I know is God called Jeremiah in his mother's womb. And he served God as a prophet for more than 40 years. He had a calling on his life. Do not miss this. He knew what he was created for. And yet over and over in Jeremiah, you'll see that he begins to walk away from his calling over and over in the book of jeremiah even though he was called in the mother's womb even though he knew he was set apart even though for 40 years he did it jeremiah had huge times of self-doubt he had huge times of second-guessing himself he would walk away from his calling thinking he was not qualified and over and over god would remind him of his calling He's also referred to in the Bible as the weeping prophet because he also wrote the book of Lamentations after Jerusalem was destroyed. Jerusalem had been destroyed. They had been taken into captivity. The temple had been burned. The, uh, the people had been put into slavery. He was also known as the suffering prophet. He was a suffering prophet because he was persecuted by kings because Jeremiah didn't give two rips if they were the king or not. If God told him to say something, he was going to say it. Jeremiah was known for calling out the idolatry of the people. You say what is idolatry? Idolatry is anything you put in place of God. Back in this time it was these fake gods that they created, but for us nowadays idolatry can be our career. It can be money. A lot of people it can be our children. It can be a good time. It can be our marriage. A, a good thing can be an idol. If the good thing gets put ahead of God, working out and fitness can become an idol, as you can tell in my life, that is not the case. But over and over, Jeremiah, Jeremiah went through bouts of depression. Someone told me the other day, said, I just feel like depression's on the rise and we see it more than ever. And I look through this book and see guys over and over that were depressed. Elijah went through depression. He sat up under a tree after his biggest victory and asked God to literally kill him. He couldn't go on anymore. And Jeremiah, here he is over and over, ready to walk away from the calling of God on his life. And make no mistake, he had a calling. And and look what the Bible says. The word of the Lord came to me saying, this is Jeremiah talking, he's saying, God came to me and literally said this. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We're going to get to that in a minute. Before you were born... I set you apart. You've heard me say it one million times at this church. You might have caught mommy and daddy by surprise. You didn't catch God by surprise. Before he formed you, and make no mistake about it today, God formed you. He created you, he made you. God does not make mistakes. God does not make junk. God does not have a plan B, your plan A in God's life. But Gary, you don't know that all I've been through. Here's what I know. I don't know what you've been through. And let me just be real honest, I'm not your typical pastor. I don't care what you've been through. I got enough drama in my life, I don't need to hear your drama. But God knows, and he knows you, and he formed you. And he said, before you were born, I set you apart. Before he ever came out of the womb, God said, I got a plan for your life. I got a purpose for your life. He said, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Here comes the self doubt and the self worth and the lack of self worth. But, 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 but God, I'm too young. You want me to be a prophet? You want me to go call out these injustices and these social issues? I'm not even a speaker. I don't even know how to do this. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you, and you say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put words in your mouth. See, today I have appointed you over the nations and the kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. A thousand times you've heard me say this verse. A thousand times I've preached and thrown this verse into the middle of a message. And I think sometimes we get so familiar with something that we overlook the power in a verse. And this is a power-packed portion of Scripture Jeremiah is ready to walk away. Jeremiah is ready to leave his calling. Jeremiah is ready to go his own way instead of the Lord's way. Hello, have we ever done that? And he has all these reasons on why he's ready to walk away. He's too young. He's not a good speaker. He can't do this. He can't do that. And God says, hey, shut up. I called you. I formed you. I knew you. I have a calling on your life. I don't care that you think you're too young. You don't have to say the words. I'm going to give you the words to say and make no mistake about it today. God will equip you for what he calls you to do. I don't think I'm qualified good. If you were qualified to do it, you wouldn't need God. If we could do it on our own, why do we need God? God takes the things, and I'm going to get to this verse later. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, but God takes the things that we don't understand, the, the foolish things, the us, and says, you see an idiot, and I see a tool I'm going to use. See, there's some power packed in this scripture. I want to break it down, and I'm going to give you some real practical things today. The first thing is this, that I see this, is God knows us. Before I formed you, In the womb, I knew you. I want you to think about that for a minute. This is probably one of the most amazing portions of Scripture in all the Bible. The God of the universe knows us. Think about that for a minute. The one who spoke everything into existence knows us. It goes on later in the Bible to say he has the hairs on our head numbered. For people like Tom Hunt, that's not a big deal. For people like Tony Sweat that got a ponytail down to their waist, that's a big deal. And God knows the hairs on your head. He said, do I not clothe the lilies and do I not feed the ravens? Will I not take care of you? Think about it for a minute. Do you know one of the number one emotions that people have? Is to be known. There's a craving inside of everyone to be known. To have significance. Desire to be known. Hey guys, you want me to give you some advice on your marriage today? Your wife craves to be known. And she craves to be understood. I know that second one's a little hard. But she craves to be known. And she craves to be understood. the, 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 The desire to be known is an incredible motivation. People do insane things in their life to be known. Even the people who say, man, I like to fly under the radar. I don't like to be in the public. Everyone has a desire to be known. The pharaohs built giant pyramids in the tombs. So 4,000 years later, people would know them, and they were born there. In 400 B.C., a man tried to burn down one of the seven wonders of the world, one of the great tombs. And and when he attempted, they asked him why. He said because he wanted to be known forever. These people that do these school shootings and they do all these mass shootings, they do it because they're a little bit off, but they have a desire to be known. And because they're a little bit off, their mind doesn't process the proper way to be known. Everyone has a basic desire in their life to be acknowledged. Probably the number one thing that I get, I've been doing this gig for 22 years now. 22 years I've been preaching. And I've had a lot of people send me a lot of messages over the years And you know the number one message I get from people on why, and as you can tell, it's not many, but why they enjoy sitting under my ministry? Always. Hands down, it's not even close. It's not because of my preaching. It's not because of my compassion. It's not because of my heart. It's not because I'm the most pastoral person in the world. It's not because I'm a great counselor, I do not. Here's my counseling philosophy. I call it the bridge philosophy. Build a bridge and get over it. Someone asked the other man, I said, do you do counseling? I said, no. Well, we'd really like to come to you. I said, no, you don't want to come to me. But, but, but we're getting married and we'd love for you to do some premarital counseling. I said, if you come to me, you won't end up married. I'll be glad to send you to somebody, but I'm not the person you want to come to. But over and over, you know what they tell me? You remembered my name. Ain't that such such a simple thing? Literally, this last week, I got a message from someone, and they said, man, it was so nice to run into you at the grocery store. It's probably been seven years since I've seen you. And I couldn't believe you remembered my name. And then not only did you remember my name, a few minutes in the conversation, you said, you remember the first time we met? I just had this weird ability. I remember the first time I meet people. I can almost tell you what they were wearing. But I become very intentional about that in my life. You know, you're shaped by your mentors. I had this mentor who was very big on remembering people's names. And so it's just something I'd say. But here's the deal. People want to be known. They want to know. They made an impact in your life so you don't forget them. So think about this for a minute. If people have a desire to be known by other people, how much cooler is it that the God of the universe knows us? He says in Isaiah, I know you and I called you by your name. The one who spoke everything into existence. The one who created everything from nothing. The God of the universe. The Almighty. The one sitting up in heaven. The one that will stand before when we take our last breath. Think about it today. He knows you. He formed you. You've had people in your life. I know people who've literally been raised by their parents you were an ups. You were a mistake. We never wanted you. Here's the deal. They're not in charge. God's in charge. And God doesn't have oops. And God doesn't make mistakes. And God doesn't scream. Say, yeah, but why did he give me to these people? Because they're the only two who could make you. And he had a plan for your life. And he knew you before you were ever created. So when you look in the mirror and you think you're worthless and you don't think you're worthy to live and you think nobody cares and nobody knows you, I'm here to tell you you need to remind yourself that God, capital G, knows you. You need to remind yourself of that all the time. Not only does God know us, don't miss this, God accepts us. God accepts us. You can know somebody and not accept somebody. He said, before you were born, I set you apart. The God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, accepts us just like we are. Jeremiah questioning his self-worth. Jeremiah having no self-esteem. Jeremiah insecure in his calling. Jeremiah suffering from depression. Jeremiah non-stop wanting to quit and wanting to walk away. And God says, I chose you and I accept you. And what you see as flaws and what you see is a mess. You just don't realize that I'm going to use for ministry. If we all had it together and we were all perfect and we all didn't have any issues, we wouldn't need each other. But sin came into the world. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And we're not perfect. I don't care how much you fake it on Facebook. I don't care how glamorous you make your life look. I don't care, ladies, how many filters you put on that picture. Hey, ladies, I don't care what angle you hold the camera to make sure that you look skinny. I get it. I do it, too. That's why when I video, I'm like, let me hold it up here where you can't see the double chin. So came okay, said, man, you're losing a lot of weight. I said, no, I'm not. They said, just you? I said, no, I just grew a beard out to cover my two chins. So it looks like I'm losing weight. I get it cut at an angle where it makes my face look thinner. Listen, I'm a dude. I'm about as redneck as they come. I'm 43 years old, and I'm worried about what, how I look. That's just human. I don't care about it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It's funny. I always laugh. and I want to be real careful because I don't want to pick on anybody, but, you know, it's just what I do. I always get a, a, a kick out of, like, the biker culture. I've been around the biker culture a lot since we started this church, and, and, and they always pride themselves that they're nonconformist. We don't follow the rules. You do you, you all look the same. You all act the same. Like you wear blue jeans and black Harley shirts and black boots and you cut the sleeves off, and there's nothing wrong with you that Scott matter of fact. Look at Scott back there. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there is, but it's not that you're different. You want to look like everyone else. What we call rebels nowadays are not rebels. A rebel is someone who goes against the grain. A rebel would walk into the biker bar in a hot pink t-shirt, neon green pants, and be like, yeah, I'm out there on that aqua blue motorcycle, and I'm a badass. Anybody want to change it? Where's Rick at? Where's my father-in-law at? Probably outside smoking. Rick, what was the guy that used to ride a motorcycle and used to always wear shorts? And I think he ran a magazine, and he would always, uh, I can't remember what his name was. He rode that V-Rod, and I always laughed at him because he didn't give two rips. He would come out and he'd have shorts on and a green shirt. He was a super nice guy. I think he took pictures or ran a magazine, Pablo or Pedro. I don't remember what his name was. But I always, everybody laughed at him. I thought, man, I like to do. He don't give two rips what anybody thinks about him. And he was an awesome dude doing cool things. But God accepts us just the way we are. We live in a day and time where people are so unsure of their value. Oh, by the way, because I don't want to just pick on the bikers. The little preppy crowd's the same way. Like my brother, he's like a football coach. And like they all dress the exact same way. Like they wear these shorts now. I think it's like a cool thing to wear short shorts now. So they wear shorts that come to like right here. Like I bought a pair of these shorts the other day, not short but I bought them like three sizes too big where they would come down to my knees and like when I had to do the buckle, they're all crunched up because I didn't like them so short. I posted a picture of my brother and he says, those shorts are too big. I said, they go to my knees. They're supposed to go to your mid-thigh. I said, nobody wants to see me in shorts to go to my mid-thigh. But every pitcher, he's got his little ball cap on, his little sun visor and his polo shirt tucked in and his titty. like every one of them looked the same. We're a society of conformists. We conform to our tribe. But God says, I accept you just like you are. I love you just like you are. We live in a day and time where people are so unsure of their value. We're deeply insecure. We look in the mirror and we're disgusted by what we see. It's never going to, we all want to look like somebody else. We all want to be like somebody else. We all want the body shape of someone else and the mindset of someone else. If I, if I was to fall off the face of the earth, would anyone even notice? And God says, I accept you. And, am I good enough? And God says, I accept you. We live our lives hoping that somebody will affirm us. And we thrive on affirmation. King of it right here. I thrive on it. And, and it's almost like a junkie, man, or what I hear junkies tell me it's like like i can get affirmation and it's not enough i get a little bit i want more because we all want to be accepted or you do something like me i'm gonna get about as real as i can with you you come along and you realize it's your tribe so in my world my tribe would be pastors and other christian leaders when you realize they're not going to accept you you go the opposite extreme to find your value and they don't accept me But the people who never darken the doors of a church, boom, they accept me. And you take pride in it. And why do you take pride in it? Because we all want affirmation and we don't care where we get affirmation from. We're looking for affirmation. I make sure my girls know all the time how beautiful are my kids, how proud, because I don't want some freaking loser punk boy to come along. And feed them some line, And they're so desperate for affirmation, they jump. I want them to look at me yeah, I know that. My dad's been telling me that for years. Get on with your stupid lies. I hate to kill a man, you know. Rick's getting married. He's happy. I don't want him to go to jail for killing somebody. I'm looking out for the world by building into these girls or my girls. We live our lives hoping for someone to accept us. We make sure we have the right body shape and the right clothes and we carry ourselves in the right manners. And and, and commercials tell you, hey, if you just use this product. You know what's funny? I ain't ever seen an Anheuser-Busch or Miller commercial. This is me wondering if I should say this or not. That says, hey, drink so much of our product. That when you're playing pool, you're going to get pissed off at someone and hit them in the head and kill them and ruin your life. That don't show up in the commercials, does it? But boy, hey, let's shoot pool. And the girl's got in a little bit of her thongs hanging out in the picture. The guy walks by and they're all buff. Like, how come nobody has beer bellies in beer commercials? Like, I don't understand it. You know? Like, it's just made like it's this glamorous life and we live our life based on something that's not a reality because we're so desperate for somebody to accept us. It's why we flock to our tribes, and we try to find people like us. We have all this inadequacy, and it consumes us. But God looked look down at Jeremiah and said, I set you apart. I created you I designed you I made you who you were everything about you hear me out today everything about you makes the total sum of who you are and there is nobody I don't say this lightly I say it as a fact and if our minds could truly comprehend it it would blow our minds There's nobody who's ever lived, will ever live, or is living now. Nobody who's exactly like you. You're unique. There might be similarities to other people. There might be characteristics of other people. Some of those we just inherit we, they, we, they just get passed on to us. We don't even got to know our parents, and, and, and we have characteristics of them. But the sum total of who you are, there's nobody like you. And God says, I made you that way for a reason. I accept you. There's nothing you can do that would make God not accept you. I tell people this all the time. There's a lot of things my kids can do that'll make me not really like what they're doing. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that could make my kids unlovable to me. God forbid I'm using this as a story, not in truth. But my kid could become one of these crazy people who walk into the mall and shoot everyone up. And guess what? I believe they'll have to suffer for that, and they ought to deal with all the consequences of that. And I sure am not approving of that, and sure don't like that. But guess what? They'll still be my kid, and I'll still love them. I was watching this documentary recently on Ted Bundy, and they had this old interview with Ted Bundy's mom. And Ted Bundy's mom took a lot of heat for this statement. I I never understood why she did. She made it very clear that she was horrified by his actions. She made it very clear that she was shocked by his actions. She made it very clear that he ought to suffer whatever whatever sentence he got for his crimes. But then she said, but he's still my son and I love him. And people lost their minds Say back in the day when all this happened, saying that she was crazy and she ought to go to jail and she enabled. She's just saying, I love my son. And God looks down at us and says, I accept you. I love you. I had a pastor friend of mine. I say a friend. It's a guy I haven't seen in probably 10 years. And I follow him on Facebook. And all of a sudden, this week, he posted a picture. And he said, I can't live a lie anymore, blah, 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 blah. And he was with a dude in the picture. He was letting the world know he was gay. I hadn't talked to the guy in 10 years. The post had been posted for, you know, Facebook, tell you, I think it was 37 minutes at the time. And already was over 100 comments and people were just rallying on him and ripping on him and uh, doing all this stuff. And so I wasn't going to post on it publicly. I just sent him a private message. And, uh, oh, and the guy, the guy that he was with was black. So you know me. So I, sent him, I said, man, black and gay, you're really pissing everybody off. Dot, dot, dot. And he responded back. He said, I knew that's the response you'd send. And I said, hey, man, just want you to know I love you. And I said, man, I can't imagine what you're going through. I said, but, man, there's going to be thousands of people in heaven because of the ministry you've had over the last few years. And I said, just ignore all the idiots. And he responded back, and he said, do you think God still loves me? And I was just like, yes, don't ever ask me that again. God accepts us. We might not. You say, well, does God approve? I'm not not getting into all that. Here's what I'm saying. God loves him and God accepts him. Lady Gaga actually had a pretty good message about this one time. I was reading an interview with her this week about her high school year. She said, I used to get made fun of for either being too provocative or too eccentric. She said, so I started to tone down who I was. And she goes, I found out, I figured out once I toned down who I was, I didn't fit in. And I felt like a freak because I wasn't being true to myself. Now her message is, however you are is all right. And she actually has a song called Born This Way. And in the song, here's a lady who says, God doesn't make mistakes. How sad that Lady Gaga gets that, and the church doesn't get that. I just don't approve. Who cares if you approve? I don't approve of probably everything you do. Ain't that funny how everybody else's sins wrong, but ours is right? You know, I, I used to know this person who was a in, insane. I mean, probably the worst alcoholic I've ever known in my life, like horrible alcoholic. And this person would just go on rampages about drug addicts, and I used to be like. And then I know drug addicts. I, I'm not. I, I'm not. A bit, I'm not a drug. Pro, I don't do drugs or anything. But like I've seen drug people who are like lost everything because of their drug abuse. Literally, look at me. Like, yeah, but I don't use needles. <laughs> oh, okay, I, that's just the lowest of the low when you start using a needle. You're living in the back seat of your car, haven't seen your kid in three years, don't have a job, all your teeth are rotted out of your head, and man, but they're wrong because they use a needle. Ain't it amazing how we justify stuff instead of just realizing God accepts us? <laughs> Something else I see from this scripture is God has a purpose for our lives. God has a purpose for our lives. I, I, I believe, and if you know anything about my preaching, this is the thing I'm most passionate about. Everybody here has a purpose. Every single person here has a purpose. There's a reason you were created. He told Jeremiah, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's purpose was a prophet. To the nations. God knows us. God accepts us. And God has a purpose for us. Every person has a purpose. Every person here today has a different purpose. And that's what makes the church so powerful. Because when each of the individuals start living out their purpose, it makes this amazing family. And it makes this amazing unit. And it's powerful. People ask me all the time, why don't we do this and why don't we do that and why don't we have this? Why don't we have a midweek service and why don't we have Sunday school and why don't we have a youth group and why don't we have uh, small groups throughout the week and why don't we do this and why don't we do that? Because here's why not my purpose. So if you want to have those things, maybe it's your purpose. Go start them. Someone made a comment that You're just never down to church. Boy, if we had to depend on you being down to church, boy, we'd be in bad shape. Yep. Mhm. You would be. My purpose is to stand up here on Sunday morning and communicate the Bible in a way where people who've given up on God, walked away from God, been burned by the church, who don't think church is relevant to their life or don't feel accepted by the mainstream church can come in and realize that God loves them, God has a purpose for their life, that we love them and there's nothing they can do about it. That's my purpose. When I was in Bible college, man, you had to be the counselor and the marriage guy and the youth pastor and this. I ain't doing it. This is what I do. What's your purpose? What's your calling? People, someone asked me this week, they said, man, you guys got that big food pantry. They were asking me questions about it. I couldn't even remember what day we do it on. I was like, well, I don't know. I said, I think it's the first Wednesday. Eileen, shut up and let me preach. Golly! I, and they said, Well, how do you not know? I said, Not my calling. They said, Whose calling is it? I said, It's Eileen's calling, if you'd be quiet. <laughs> Someone asked me one time, I said, How do you get all the stuff for your cafe and blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't know. just there every Sunday. Well, don't you, I, why do I need to know? What if you show up on a weekend that's not there? Then it won't be there. Guess what? If you come to church for a stale donut, you got an issue anyway. <laughs> not my calling. I asked someone the other day, call me, looking for a church. Hey, what are your kids learning in the kids' area? I said, I don't, I don't know. What? How do you not know? I said, well, I think they're learning about Jesus. Well, I don't understand why you don't. I said, not my calling. It's Joe Owen's calling. It's all the volunteers over there. See how it works when we all know our purpose and our calling? We become this unit that's a force to be reckoned with. I'm not trying to turn you into me. we only got one slot up here to preach. I don't need you to preach. Someone said, you don't ever come to the food pantry giveaway. Not my calling. It's Wednesday night. I'm spending time with my family on Wednesday night. That'd be like me saying, hey, you're not here at 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings going over sermon notes. See, we tend to get in this mindset that we look at what everyone else is doing and think no one else is doing anything because we don't know what they're doing. People all over this church doing stuff you don't know about. People come down here and clean this building. Speedy basically lives in, he's like the Waffle House, man. 24-7 down here. I'm like, go home, dude, go home. Moving stuff. Like, literally, I let someone borrow chairs just to add a cost to me. I'm like, where are the chairs? There's 500 chairs that are white, and I can't find them. Well, I moved them to the other side of the building. They're all stacked behind the wall. It made perfect sense why he moved them, but I didn't know he moved them. The guy looked at me and said, You don't know where your own chairs are? I said, Nah. So said, I'm good to do preaching around here, bro. He said, It just seems disorganized. It actually seems really biblical to me. Seems real biblical to me. When I need something done, one of my i Bam. Hey, Faye. I need by a click. I don't ask her how she does it, I don't ask her her system because I don't care. Because my fear is if I learn it, she'll quit doing it, and I'll have to do it. Know your purpose and know your calling. Sounds crazy. We got people walking around here with guns in their back pocket, and they run security. It's their purpose. That's not just something they do. Churches are getting shot up all the time. Thank God that they're willing to do what they need to do if something arose. We have purpose. We have calling. Everybody here, how how do I know my purpose? There's a lot of factors in that. Look at what you're good at. Look at your interests. Talk to people you love and ask them, hey, what do you think about this? Pray about it. Get in God's word. It would just sort of come together for you. And your purpose always isn't always church related. I feel like I have purpose outside of church. I feel like, I have this calling on my life that I'm just a big lover of life, and that, that life is crazy and it's hectic and it's insane sometimes. And sometimes you just need to create an environment where people can escape reality. And that's why I love doing events because I just I like people to be able to check out a reality for just a short time. Come to a festival, come to a show, come to a concert, and just forget about the fact that rents due for a little bit. Well, all have purpose. Well, con- some, some of your callings to be a mom. What a great calling! What a fantastic calling. I don't know what your calling is, but you do. Paul hunted down Christians and gave his life to Christ and then began to help the persecuted Christians. Normally, whatever you've been through in life will probably lead to what your calling is. It's a powerful portion of Scripture. Jeremiah, man, I know you, and I accept you, and you have a purpose, and those are three groundbreaking truths that if we truly believed them, would change our self-image issues. And they would change our self-worth issues. And you got to deal with those things sometimes. I joined a new gym this week. I joined the cult that is One Life. And we left the YMCA after three years and went down to the new One Life down there. And I kind of dug the Y because everybody there was like over 60. And like I was kind of in shape. I was like, yeah, check me out at the Y, man. Old little ladies need me to pick stuff up for them. I was like bad to the bone at the Y. That's how bad the Y was. I was bad at the bone. I walked up into one life. he said, how was it? I said, I am the most out of shape person there. I said, it is the prettiest people I have ever seen in my life. I said, the women there are stronger than me. So guess what? I have self-worth issues. So I went at 5 o'clock the first time. That's when everybody's there before work. So I said, I'm going to go later in the day. When no one's there, here's the problem with one life. Someone's always there. I went at ten o'clock, and the parking lot was full, full of people who are pretty, and have muscles, and don't sweat when they work out, and know how to lift stuff. And I'm I'm struggling. You know, my ear pods are falling out. So I was like, I'm not coming back at ten o'clock. I said, I bet about eleven thirty. There ain't nobody here. So I went at 11.30, and the parking lot was full, full of pretty people who were in shape. And it's got a locker room, and, like, all these dudes walk around the locker room naked, and it's uncomfortable. And I'm like, and I get out. It's like, (laughs) hey! And, like, this is how you know you're insecure because, you you know, you start cracking jokes. So, like, I'm in the sauna because I'm like, I can sit in the sauna. This is cool. And this guy's like, Yeah. I'm in liver failure and I've been doing this thing where you take an alcohol bath and blah, blah, blah. I don't know what he's talking about. So I wanted to be called, like, well, I drink a lot of alcohol. It ain't helping me lose weight. I thought he would laugh. He didn't laugh. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you get in the alcohol tub and the rubbing alcohol and put, you know, give me some formula and it opens up the pores, man. I was like, oh, okay. I was just trying to be funny because I'm fat. You know, I ain't got no muscle, so I just thought I'd make you laugh, and hopefully you're not going to laugh. He's like, yeah, I met my wife at the gym. Like awesome, I'm gonna go kill myself now. So I left there I was like I'm not going to the gym at 11:30. Cause the lunch crowd's there. I said, you know when I bet the gym is dead because they didn't offer childcare for like two, an hour and a half. I was like, I bet that's the dead time, 1:30. So I went to the gym at 1:30. I roll up in there and it's old people everywhere. I'm like, yes. And these old people were bad to the bone. Like, why do old people? Look like they do steroids. Like they're in their muscle shirts and they're slinging up weights. And the old people are grunting more than the young people. And like this old man, would say, hey, I said, Hey, I kid you not, do I had to be close to 70. Doing that exercise wrong? Looked at him and said, Deuces. <laughs> you know? So yesterday, Saturday, bored, I went to the gym. Walked up in the gym and said, I'm not working out this. I'm going to sit in the sauna. Drove all the way down there to sit in the sauna feel better about myself. So we all have self-worth issues. So I'm going to go back today. After this sermon, I was reading my notes last night. And I was like, crap, I need to go actually work out today. And I'm going to remind myself the whole time, God knows me. And God accepts that I'm fat. And God has a purpose for my life. And I'm going to lead a lot of these people to Jesus eventually. I'm just going to convince myself of that over and over and over. And I'm not going to let the devil set up because the devil sets up in your mind, and he set up in Jeremiah's mind all the time, but all these principles sound really good, God knows us, God accepts us, God has a purpose for our life, how do we put them down? action, I'm going to give you five things real, real quick, I'm not even going to preach on them, five things real, real quick, practical things, because those aren't practical things, it's like when I used to go to this church and the used you say, you got to quit drinking, and he never tell us how to quit drinking, you need to quit whoring around, well, I'm like, 18, I want to whore around, like, how do I not want to whore around, like, tell me, you know? Just give it to Jesus. I don't know what that means, Jesus. I want to be a whore. Give me some practical things. Here's some practical things. First of all, we need to realize God's called us for foolish things, okay? Put that, that down, Xander. Take it down. I'm going to put a verse up first. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So we need to realize we're in good shape here. God chooses the weak things and the foolish things. You can do this. The first thing we're going to do is we're never going to speak negatively about ourselves. Stop it. Stop it. Quit talking negative about yourself, even when you're doing it as a joke. The Bible says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. As you speak to yourself, every time you start to have a negative thought, you replace it with a positive thought. Every time. Man, I feel like I'm a fat man. You know what? I get to preach to a lot of people every week. Just whatever it is. Come, every time that negative thought, stop it and come back with something positive. You'll be amazed how your life will change when you speak positivity into your life. This has just been the area of my life in the last year God has rocked my world in put positive things through your mind. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to avoid comparisons. Stop comparing yourself to other people. They're different than you. They've been through different things than you. They have different life experiences from you. Comparison ruins great people. Look at the story of Saul. Saul was the king before David became the king. They went to war, David killed Thousands of men, 10,000s of men. Saul had killed a 1,000 men. Look what the people did. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, remember we talked about that last week, he killed the giant, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, was singing and dancing with joyful songs and with timbers and layers. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his 10,000s. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with ten thousands; he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he do but get the kingdom? And from that time on, he kept a close eye on David. The people came out and they started praising David and Saul. The king started to doubt his self-worth. The king started to get insecure. Why? Because he was comparing. Don't compare your marriage to somebody else's marriage. You don't know the truth about their marriage. Don't compare your lifestyle to somebody else's lifestyle. You don't know all the, the dirt and the nastiness of their lifestyle. Nobody's perfect. Ladies, quit comparing your husband to me. He's never going to mount up. No, I'm just kidding. Just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Compare him to me. You'll appreciate him a whole lot more. We're going to avoid comparisons. Okay? I'm not going to compare myself to other people at the gym. Because here's the deal. They ate broccoli last night and I ate a blizzard. So they look better than me, but I had more fun. Okay. We're going to focus on potential, not limitations. We're going to focus on what we can do, not what we can't do. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. We're all different. Focus on what you can do and not what you can't do. I can focus on all the things that make me not a good pastor, or I can focus on the things that I think make me a good pastor. I can focus on all the things that make me probably not the best husband in the world, or I can focus on the things that say, man, you know what, I'm a pretty good husband. I can focus on all the things that make me think I'm not a great dad, or I can say, you know what, nobody's perfect. There's a lot of things I do that are great as a dad. Focus on your potential, not your limitations. Keep your flaws in perspective. Keep your flaws in perspective. So we fix our eyes not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, nobody's perfect. It's okay. Accept your flaws. Accept them. Quit making excuses for them and accept them. Work on them. But you've got to be honest about your flaws. Keep them in perspective. Keep them in perspective. The reality is, going back to the gym thing, I could shoot up and do steroids and do all this stuff and do all, and and I'm probably still never going to look like the guy I want to look like at the gym because the guy that I want to look like at the gym was like 5'3 and I'm not 5'3 and the guy at the gym was like 22, I'm 43 and the guy at the gym has probably never tasted a blizzard in his life and I'm going to go get a blizzard when I leave here and hot wings and curly fries. You've got to keep your flaws in perspective. Discover the true source of confidence. It goes back to the scripture right where we started. It goes all back to it. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. But you were, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet of the nations. Blah, blah, I'm too young, I'm too young. No, you're not anything. Because I will give you the words to speak. I will call you to do what I've called you to do. You need to understand today that true confidence comes from knowing who we are in Christ and that goes back to what we started with God knows us God accepts us God has a purpose for our lives those are the practical steps today in living out our self worth I am convinced 20 years I asked myself why I have never taught on this message because it's hard to do but I am convinced That if you can grasp this concept and you can learn to love yourself as Christ loves you and you can learn to accept yourself and you can learn to see the potential in your own life and you can learn to have self-worth, it will change your relationships. It will change your career. It will change your purpose. It will change every aspect about you. I didn't say become cocky because cocky people are really just insecure people. I just said become confident in who God's told you to be. And it's work. Paul in the New Testament was talking about an issue that he struggled. He said, I die daily. He said, every day I get up and I die to this issue. Alcoholics and addicts will tell you, man, you take it day by day. This is something you're going to have to do every single day. I'm not telling you to get up every day and look in the mirror and be like, great, and I'm good, and I'm worthy. If that works for you, do it. But I am telling you to every day start your day reminding yourself that you're known, that you're accepted, and you're called by the living God. Let's pray.